HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45 from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. We got Dave in the booth. Or maybe not. I don't know. He was in the booth. I'm here. Good. Oh, nice. All right. Your mic was acting up on you? Yeah, you know, things. This is why we need your money. Uh, you know, we gotta, we gotta get new things to keep the operation rolling here. They're actually like swap, like Nastasi, like running into the other room with the extra mic. That's how much. That's how uh, you know much money they need here. How much are you at right now, David? Dave in the booth. I think that's confidential. Uh, uh, really? No, actually, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, are we doing well? I, I really don't know. Should people <laughs> give money? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and what you heard from there was our special guest of the day, Paul Adams, who is 
The wait, the editor and editor. What's your title over there? I can never get title. You know, I hate titles. Yes, it. It's more difficult because my title is different every day. <laughs> Today, I am senior research editor at Cooks Illustrated. At, oh, not at America's Test Kitchen anymore. America's Test Kitchen owns Cooks Illustrated, or yes, vice but, versa, or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but they they are two separate names, are they not? I mean, in other words, like they are yes. two... Yeah, if I you mean, look at them closely, they're not the same name. Yes, yes. The letters don't map one-to-one. You know I you, deal with mostly the print magazine, Cooks Illustrated. Which, whoa, whoa, whoa. Since when? I thought you were on their website. Now you're on their print side? All the- Every day it's different, Dave. Well, you're not here to talk about that, although I have to say... Cooks Illustrated, when it came out in 1993, I believe, was the first year. You know, I have that. I was, I had all the initial first ones. and That's those worth are, money. Really? Yeah. I also have them like, bound. Like I have the bound bucks, ones. Like 10 15. bucks? Wow. For the whole, the whole year's worth? But he's not here to promote that. Go on eBay. All right. Well, uh, no, instead, and Paul donate is... donate a percentage to Heritage Radio Network. Oh, there you go. Instead, Paul Adams is here to promote his new cat. <laughs> I have a brand new kitten. She is adorable. Her name is The Bat because she resembles a bat. And you can see her at my Twitter account, which is Salad Puma. So uh, do you want to hear a story about bats? Yes. So I, I can't tell. Actually, I, it's, I can't tell this story. It's not that you, I can't tell the story. Is that I should not tell the story. Is it guano? No, although one of my favorite words, guano. Is it a culinary story about bats? No, I'll say this. If you, late at night, this is not about me. This is not one of those things where I'm not talking about myself because Family I'll, show. Family I'll, show. I'll, I'll embarrass myself, right? You know, at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if late at night <clears throat> you should find uh, a bat swimming about in your toilet, like what not to do is just pee on the bat, close the toilet seat, and then go to bed. Who did that? I'm not going to say. Because hmm. the next day, right, if you haven't, like, if you haven't, like, maintained, uh, the bat's going to drown if you close the lid. This is just an FYI. bat's going to drown if you close the lid. But uh, you then have to fish the bat out, and they have to test it for rabies because you haven't, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You haven't uh, fully accounted for all the time the bat was in the house, and you know some bat bites. You can't tell if you're bitten by the bat because hmm. you can't tell. So you might have to fish the bat out of the toilet after you've peed on it. So first fish it out, and then pee on it. The correct answer is first fish it out. First fish it out. And but then rabies pee. can't swim up the urine stream. No, no, no. The like the the, no, the, the, the problem might be if you. I mean, definitely don't poop on the bat because then it can bite you in the behind. How are you able to pee on it without it? No, no, no. Out? The question is, is that maybe it was flying around the house prior to this because it ended up in your toilet. So it was clearly in your house without your knowledge because it ended up in your toilet. How did it get in your toilet in the middle of the night? You know what I'm saying? So you were at some point sleeping with a bat. You went to bed. Presumably there was no bat in your toilet. You wake yeah. up. You go the bat to pee. just came in to use the bathroom and fell in. <laughs> right. Well, you don't know that. Poor That's bat. the thing. You don't know if you got, you know, if you were bitten in the meantime. Uh, you know, odds are you aren't. So the, the, the moral of the story is fish the bat out prior to peeing. Or maybe test yourself for bat bites at that second. I don't so know. So how do you fish the bat out? Uh, I, don't, I wasn't there for it. And that's, you know, a question that I never asked. So I don't know. Hmm. I will ask. I will ask when I, when I next see the person who, 
Batongs. Yeah. And, what, and their name again was? Uh, <laughs> that, that, that is the confidential part because I don't know if they wish me to share the story of... Uh, I have so many people that I see I saw over Thanksgiving and then the wedding I just went to uh, two days ago. By the way, I thought I was going to get my Christmas tree, Nastasia, on Sunday. And then I realized... I So I spent you know uh, my uh, elementary school years in um, New Jersey, most of it in New Jersey, in a place called Bergen County. Bergen County is right across the river from the George Washington Bridge from Upper Manhattan, right? And so in the 70s, they had these things called blue laws where none of the stores were open on Sunday. You couldn't buy anything other than food, basically, foods on... Yep. That's on how a, they said it in the county. What? That's how they talk in the county. Uh, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's, I'm still in my mind quoting uh, Wesley Willis songs. It's uh, don't, mm-hmm. don't Ask Me for, for Sugar Honey Iced Tea is one of his songs. He's, don't ask me to pay for your foods. Anyway, so like uh, Dax, conti- I stupidly put Dax onto Wesley Willis since now he, whenever he's in the car alone oh, with no. me, he just plays Wesley Willis songs constantly over the, over the radio, mm-hmm. which just shows what a bad parent I am to like, it's inappropriate, whatever. That's not the point. So the point is I'm like, I'm going to get my Christmas tree because obviously these blue laws have been repealed since, you know, 1978. Nope. Nope. They're still there. If you go to Mitsuwa Market, which is the amazing Japanese market in Edgewater, New Jersey, if you go on a Sunday, the appliance aisle is barricaded because you can shop in the market, but you can't shop the appliance aisle. Which makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, the Internet's closed on Sundays. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, back in the 70s, the argument was, well, if everybody's closed on Sundays, then it just gives everyone a a day off and we're not in this kind of mutually assured destruction. I mean, it started with, you know, blue laws, like you you shouldn't be shopping on the Lord's Day. You know what I mean? But uh, at this point, you know, they should switch it to Saturday anyway. And then, you know, like it's like none of it makes any sense anymore. Yeah, the Internet is competition. You can go to malls. It used to also be Bergen County was the county of malls. Like Paramus was where all the malls were. Uh, you know, and you're like, I'm, what am I going to drive? A whole county away just to go shopping? By the way, New Jersey counties are not like, you know, big state counties. New Jersey counties are like the size of this table. So anyway, uh, interesting fact that the blue laws are still there. Why are they called yes. blue laws? I don't know. I don't know. To give you a blue something else. Uh, <laughs> bl- a, bl- a what? A bl- like a... Like a Nothing. Are you singing... You're not singing uh, I'll Have a Blue Christmas Without You from uh, A Year Without a Santa Claus, are you? Nope. Because I watched that last night. I haven't watched Rudolph yet, though, Nastasia. Have you watched... How many times have you watched... I haven't watched... I haven't watched... I think someone needs to take a picture. Nastasia is wearing the Christmas hat that I want to be the prize for some of our contests. I don't know where to get it. Well, I'm sure one of our intrepid, you know, listeners, if we take a picture of your Christmas hat... There's a good one of us eating a pizza with you looking at me angry. uh, If that's any picture of us eating pizza together. (laughs) Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Um, All right. So how was your bird, Nastasia? Good. Yeah, you cooked a, a, a heritage bird. Oh, it was pretty tough. What? Yeah. You, see, this is what Nastasia is always into the brutal honesty. Wait, Dave, how are your brutal two, honesty? How are yep. your two stop and shop birds? Wow. <laughs> brutal honesty. I'll tell you what they were. First of all, it was three shop and stop birds, and they were For how many uh, people? What? You did three turkeys. I did three turkeys. How many people? Uh, what's eighteen and eight? Uh, 26? 26. 26 people. I did, okay. I did three turkeys. Uh, Seems excessive, but go on. Uh, there, pff, is there, there's no such thing as excessive turkey. <laughs> like I said before, I happen to be in the small, correct 
smart percentage of the people who think that turkey is a delicious bird and a delicious meat and you can't have too much turkey. Everyone's like, oh, turkey, no flavor. We talked about this before Thanksgiving. Oh, it's good, but... It's, uh, it's great. As, it's as great. Patrick it's not Martin good, it's great. says, it is, a, it is a revolting bird. What? In what way is it revolting? First of all, wild turkey is very smart. Everyone also says turkeys are stupid. Go hunt turkeys and tell me turkeys are stupid. Why is it so hard to get a turkey if they're so damn stupid? Turpe- turkeys, right, unlike, you know, a dumb chicken, which I love, right, turkeys, like, sleep on the tops of trees, come down and eat and go back up. That's so baller. Turkeys, like, that giant bird goes dinosaurs. up and sleeps in the top of a tree. Think about that. And, uh, you know, turkeys are uh, uh, delicious, and they smell delicious, and people should eat more of them. That's what I was trying to tell Patrick before, is that he needs to tell people that turkey is not just for Thanksgiving, although he's like, it's one of the only seasonal meats. It's turkeys. They only have sex one time a yeah, year. Yeah, if you want to get a turkey around Thanksgiving. Uh, it's the best time to get the turkeys. But you know, the fact that that's my Patrick Martin's voice, by the yeah, way. Yeah. And by the way, he does sound like that. So unlike my normal voices where they sound nothing like the person, that sounds kind of like, it's actually not even my imitation of Patrick Martin's. It's Peter Kim from the Museum of Food and Drinks Everyone's imitation. Uh, everyone's favorite. Country I am bag. Patrick Martin's host of the main course. That's his more measured tones. I am Patrick Martin's. Ho- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyways, so uh, I did, uh, yeah, three turkeys, and it was not excessive. I didn't actually have that many leftovers, but uh, I did two. I did uh, completely uh, boned out and chicken fried. Right. So for that one, you completely bone them out. Uh, you chop up the bones, roast them, and do a double stock in the pressure cooker, which means that, you know, while you guys are sitting there using your canned chicken broth and your freaking pan drippings to make gravy, meanwhile, I have, like, you know, 10 cups of a very rich double stock to turn into a gravy. So all I need to do is, uh, you know, thicken it and add some freaking sherry. That's all I have to do to get a nice kind of a gravy, right? Unlike you chumps, I'm pointing at you two in the room. Although, how was your turkey? I'm not a connoisseur of turkey. My parents make the turkey. Okay. And it always tastes just fine to me, like a Thanksgiving turkey. And one, then a few days later, I get the feedback from my parents. That was not a very good turkey, was it, Paul? Really, I didn't notice. I was just there for the companionship. Wow, that I'm and ne- the stuffing. I am ne- oh stuffing. Yeah, I love stuffing. I was I am never there for the companionship. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That's, yes. that's yes. not true. That sounds right. What's that's your ratio of meat to gravy? Uh, when I'm eating it, when you're, I don't put gravy on the meat. I put gravy on the stuffing and on the potatoes because I try to not overcook the meat to the point that I need to put gravy on it to eat it. Hmm. So Isn't there, it better with gravy, no matter no. what degree it's cooked to? Actually, nah. I do the same thing, actually. I don't like gravy on my turkey. Yeah, I don't like... I, I also, feel like gravy, gravy ruins the stuffing. Stuffing mm, is so perfect without gravy. I like it, but, but what, about, well what, about, what about gravy on your potatoes? Mm, I like gravy on the turkey meat. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't like, I, <clears throat> I don't put sauces typically, unless it's a braise, you know, uh, on my meats. On my roasted meats, I don't put sauces typically. Hmm. This is why, like, I favor styles of uh, barbecue where the meat tastes good on its own, as opposed to. And I'm not a huge fan. And this is why everyone gets pissed, uh, mad at me, is because uh, I, you know, I, I'm like, can I taste the meat before you slather it with vinegar and tomato products? You know what I mean? Can I just taste it yep. before you slather it with sugar, tomato? Which, by the way, all that stuff tastes good. Like. 
I think barbecue sauce tastes great on French fries. You know what I mean? Or maybe, you know, a little bit on the meat. But do you, are you a big fan of that stuff too? No. All right. So I, the trick with the, with the breaking the, the turkey apart is uh, cutting the pieces into individual size pieces, into the size pieces that they would be were to chicken. And the other thing that's a pain in the butt, and I've said this a couple years ago, but I didn't say it this year, is that when I was a kid, you could buy turkeys, and Nastasia won't remember this. I don't think, Paul, you won't remember this. You could buy turkeys where they had taken the tendons out of the legs. So you used to be able to buy, uh, unless this is some sort of dream I've had that's been re-imprinted on my, they used to make a machine where butchers could go bop, 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 rip the tendons out of the leg and still have the leg there, which is why I detest the, the, um, I detest the Disney World uh, turkey leg that they, that they sell you. Uh, not because the turkey leg tastes bad. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's just a smoked, kind of overly dry thing because they don't remove the tendons. And so you have that stick with all those freaking tendons sticking out of it. It's, it's the tendons in the, in the legs that are the unpleasant part of dealing with turkey. Uh, True. Yeah. But what happened to the detendonizer machine? I don't know. I don't. I think it was just a dream. It, no, it was not a dream. It was real. Well, I remember you used to be able to buy quarts of turkey tendon. What? Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, well, they don't render out nicely like a beef tendon does. You know what I mean? But so anyway, the point being that uh, what you do there is you cut the, uh, especially the leg parts apart. Make sure that you cook the legs separately in a bag. I cook them in a, in a, I cook them in a milk brine. I do the low temp cooking in a milk brine. And I take it a couple of degrees higher than I would do for myself just so that everyone's super happy. Like I do like a 67 and a 65 for the white. Anyway, so you cook the legs separately. Pull them out, let them flash off and cool, and then rip the tendons out before you bread them. Mm. Don't try to remove the tendons from the legs prior to cooking them because there lies anger. You know what I mean? More <laughs> anger. Good sense. Yeah, more, more anger. Than more anger than is necessary. But interestingly this year, I have a policy with Thanksgiving and any large event where you're going to let people bring food of, of a no-oven policy. A no-oven. What I, about Peter Kim's stew? Well, in other words, I won't use the oven. So, like, my oven is entirely for the guests oh. because guests, mm. guests, in fact, I bought a separate oven just so that guests could use it and I had a toaster oven. It's like, it's like I want to use as little of my equipment when people are in my house as is humanly possible because everybody is like, well, I'm sure I can just throw in these rolls at 400 <laughs> degrees for 20 minutes right before we eat, right? You know what I mean? Although my, my mother, my mother-in-law brought the rolls and she doesn't do that. She brings them all done and nice and stuff like this. No, but dishwashers, Nastasia, take an hour and a half to two hours no, to one run. of those. Oh, I wish I had. <laughs> that, my dream is someone who makes, and by the way, I mentioned this before on the radio, Louis Armstrong, uh, uh, my wife uh, at the firm she used to work at had a project at Louis Armstrong's house in Queens, and uh, and they were looking at it because they're they're I guess preserving it. I don't know whether it's a museum, but the house is preserved. Louis Armstrong's house in Queens is preserved. Yes. And his dishwasher. This was their Christmas card one year. His dishwasher had a button. Remember how old dishwashers used to have buttons on them, like similar to an Osterizer blender still has to this day. Those little click buttons. Yep. And one was party. And so they, they just took a picture of his dishwasher control panel, and then they were like, and the, the title was Set to Party, and that was their Christmas invitation to the architecture firm that year. Yeah. 
So the the reason why you know uh, home dishwashers uh, don't work uh, quickly is because they want to a save energy uh, and b they want to be quiet and c they don't want to be too rough on your dishes, right? These so commercial dishwashers a take a lot of energy, uh, and b are relatively rough on your dishes, right? Uh, and they're no b is they're loud and b c is, is they're loud, rough. yeah, and they're rough. C is they're rough, yeah, and, and so but. The only real difference, you could take, you know, pick your quiet dishwasher of choice, Bosch, whatever, uh, and all you alls you need to do, by the way, Hobart could do this because they make, is put a boiler unit in it, right? And then say, you know what? I want this sucker to run like a commercial dishwasher for the next, you know, three hours. Heat up that boiler. And the other problem with commercial dishwashers is they don't automatically uh, get rid of all of the gunk. You have to, like, drain it once you put solids in. So that's why you have to pre-rinse better for those things. But you could you could have a home dishwasher that runs like a commercial during a party and be doing, like, minute cycles, you know, minute and a half cycles where they're coming out blazing hot and going bang, bang, bang. It would be so amazing. Wouldn't you love that, Paul? With a party button, I would. With a party button. <laughs> well, yeah, you wouldn't call it set to commercial because that doesn't sound fun. No. It's set to party. And then, you know, in party mode, the boiler comes on. It, you know, you know your energy usage goes way up. It's loud as all get out. But who cares because you're at... A party. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So you know, no one's setting at the party. You know, it's, you're not having the Carthusian monks over and, like, you know, everyone has a vow of freaking silence and you're interrupting it with your dishwasher, you know? Hmm. Sometimes I do have the monks over. What a quantity. I know. Paul's like, hey, you, you want a drink? And they're like... They don't answer. And you're like, oh, yeah, I forget. You only drink like two days a year when you're toasting, you know, like uh, like Good Friday or whatever. Like, yes, but... yeah. They're not heavy drinkers, those Carthusians, even though they make the chartreuse. Did you know that? They only <laughs> no, drink I haven't like two actually times partied a year. with the monks, Dave, unlike no. you. Uh, well, no, they didn't come. That's the thing. They didn't come and party. They're not about partying. They don't even care whether you like the liquor or not. They're like, we sell it. They used to. They used to make iron. They were iron workers, and then when the iron ran out, they were like, well, we could uh, make uh, booze. <laughs> Although they didn't say that because they don't talk. Right. You know what I mean? Anyways. They thought it. They thought it to each other. I don't think they have telepathy, but if they did, they would use that accent for their telepathy, whatever the French version of that accent is for their telepathy. It's a weird thing, those guys, because they make a high, really high-quality product, but they really don't care about it in the way that you and I care about products. You know what I mean? They care that they're doing a good job because it's through work that they become closer. One of the ways they mm -hmm. become closer to God is through work, right? But like the Mennonites, like the Martins Brothers pretzels, which are some of my favorite pretzels on earth, right? Uh, but... Uh, they don't care whether you like it or not. It's not. It's not. Doesn't factor into their equation. Isn't that weird? Do they get it married? No, they are monks. Can we get a monk on the show? No, I mean they, 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 they can sit there. <laughs> they can sit there. Oh, we do have a monk. <laughs> yeah. Hello. They have the best. Like the Carthusians have the nicest wool habits. Like so nicely made the wool habits. Hmm. Apparently, when you join the Carthusians, you have to choose whether you're going to go the the father route or the brother route, and they have different kind of jobs. What are the jobs? Well, one's I guess more of a priestly route, and the other one's more of a monkey mount route. Anyway, like hmm. one's more working and the other one's more sit around and contemplate, which huh. I'm terrible. I would work. What? Yeah, you, what? I would work. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you and I sitting around <laughs> contemplating, please poke my eyes out. I can't imagine anything I'd less rather be on earth than some sort of a Zen person. You know what I mean? Like, 
Like I could, you know how some people are like, oh, Zen, you know, it's like when you're working, it's like Zen. Well, I don't know if in that way, maybe I could do that, but just like sitting and like contemplating. Well, what are you going to do when you become Leatherman? He walks and contemplates. That's what I'm saying. Like people are like, it's like my worst nightmare is going to the beach, right? Because unless I'm searching for clams, love that. Going call hogging at the beach. Awesome. What about right? reading? Can't you read at the beach? It's too bright. It's too freaking bright. Why would I do that? I would go inside and read the or go, go to the woods and read. Or yeah, sit on a deck and read. Well, that, yeah, but, but I don't like the sand to touch me. Whatever. My point is, is that like, and plus, when you have kids, Nastasia, you're, you're, you're supposed to watch the kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally pretending I'm dead at the beach, watching the kids to make sure they don't drown and being like, why, why am I here? I'm not, I'm not gathering food. I'm not cooking food. I don't have a margarita in my hand. And I'm not reading, right? You like being in the sea? Yes, I like being in the sea. That's why I go to the beach. Yes, I like being in the sea. You could buy that cooler with the margarita maker on it. Uh, my wife is not so much on me watching the kids at the beach while I'm pounding margaritas. <laughs> it's not considered, you know, it's not considered... You'd be that dad. Father of the year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who, oh, that's that dad. That's, ooh, that dad. Yeah, hey, you want to take a call? Yeah, sure. Caller, you're on the air. How are you? Doing well yourself. Doing well. Good. So I have a quick question. Um, I bought one of the Instant Pot electronic uh, uh, pressure cookers, and I've got one of the ones with the yogurt buttons. And uh, a lot of people seem to like to do it without doing the usual 180-degree boil step of, uh, of cooking if they use uh, the Fairlife hyper-pasteurized uh, milk. And I'm wondering, is this safe? It, it seems like a, an odd choice. Plus, it's lactose-free, and I always thought that was what the bacteria was eating in order to make yogurt. That, those are all excellent questions. Paul, do you know anything about this? I don't know Fairlife. I bring my milk to about 165, and it's all about texture. What happens when if you I don't, don't do that? It's a much thinner, runnier yogurt, which I don't enjoy. And is it be, well? So presumably, right? Heating the milk does a couple of things. One, you're killing off anything that was there that's not what you want, right? That's one. Presumably. And if you're pitching in a culture, right, then you can probably fairly easily swamp anything that is already in there, right? Because it's not there that long, and and, and those things are going to even if you heat it, right. The odds that you get zero other stuff in are low, and so really with yogurt, you're you're counting on competition to win, and the drop in pH to also ward off any nasties that might be uh, present, right? Right. I mean, and in fact, like in the old days, prior to milk was pasteurized, its its inherent beasties were enough to drop the pH. So, like old soured, clabbered milk does not taste anything like uh, modern. Uh, pasteurized milk that's gone bad in your fridge. It's an entirely different uh, set of uh, 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 microbes. Anyway, so there's that. And then the other thing, as Paul is saying with texture, is as you heat it, you will be denaturing uh, some of the proteins and therefore altering how they agglomerate. And that must be what you're yes. getting on the texture thing. Have you done any research on it, Paul? I haven't done research. I've done experimentation at 165, 170, 175, and 180 because I make a lot of yogurt at home. And 165 gives me the thickest, tangiest yogurt. 180 gives a thinner, 
blander yogurt. And what about this whole thing about the yeast? I mean, the uh, the bacteria, uh, you know, having the the having enough to eat if there's if the lactose has been removed. I have no idea. I've never tried making yogurt with lactose-free milk. It sounds like it wouldn't work. It sounds like it. You I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, we have the thing. Yeah, it works, right? So, I mean, there's obviously other stuff in there that they can eat. You know what I mean? Um, have you so you're tr- actually bringing it to like one, yeah. one ninety ish. Um, it, it definitely sets up nicer, and it sets up fine. I, I don't even need to strain it in order to make a, a pretty thick yogurt. Um, but I, I was just curious because, again, I, I always thought that it was eating the lactose. Maybe it likes it that it's already broken down. I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I don't even really so like. Uh, I haven't even looked at. So what they're doing is they're pre-adding the enzyme to break it down, right? That's what they do to lactose. Yeah. yeah so they're adding lactase before. Yeah. You know. So I'm sure you're you're just probably saving them a step. You know, they probably don't get uh, that much energy from breaking that. It's more of the actual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's probably it doesn't take that much energy to break down. Um, because uh, lactose, I forget what lactose is. Do you remember what lactose is, Paul? Like what the, it's a disaccharide, right? I don't mm-hmm. remember what the two, it's a disaccharide, right? Lactose? And I don't know what the two monosaccharides are because I don't Break spend down a lot of into glucose Yeah, so in other words, like that, that, that's typically not that much energy, right? So uh, yeah, if the constituent uh, monosaccharides are still in there, then I'm sure it's all copacetic for the, uh, for the bacteria. So safe to give small children. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Look, if the pH drops, I would say it's safe to give, because look, you were willing to you were willing to uh, you know drink it prior, and sure. uh, you know the pH drop happens probably relatively quickly at those temperatures. Like, how long is your incubation period before it starts getting tangy? Uh, I I've, I like it to let it run because I really like tangy, so I usually let it run twelve hours. So I don't know when it gets tangy. Yeah. Well, Paul, have you done that? How how fast does it start dropping the pH? I do twenty four hours, mm. um, eight hours. I mean, you'll you buy commercial yogurt machines and they have an eight hour cycle, and it comes out tangy. Right. So so there you have it. So like it's probably dropped. The pH is probably dropping low enough to start inhibiting some of these off things relatively early, like in the range of a couple of hours instead of in the range of like twenty four hours. So, I mean, I, you know, the, the thing is, as a, not a microbiologist, I can't, like, give you a specific recommendation, but I can say I would serve it to my kids. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And let us, you know, if you have any experiments or whatever, shoot me a tweet over at Cooking Issues. Let me know how it works out. Cool. Thank you. All right. Cool. Thank you. Uh, Instapot. Since my mom does not listen, I can't, uh, anyway. The people loving the Instapot. I got, yep. we had a caller, I think, two weeks ago who was, uh, gave me the very good tip that you can, because the Instapot inserts are stainless steel, you can put them on a burner, and therefore you, you can brown it even though they're woefully underpowered for browning. Woefully underpowered uh, for browning. Are you, did, uh, did your sister buy an Instapot, Anastasia? That, no. uh, ooh, check this out. Uh, I forgot to write down who it was, but one of uh, the people on Instagram, I should have written down who it was, sent me... The, like uh, the greatest emoji of all time. It's the poop emoji and the plate with the fork emoji. So what's what's that the emoji for? Dump meals. It's the greatest <laughs> dual emoji ever. It's good. Are you giving me the you giving me the want wants just because you're a dump meal fan, Dave? I never said that. 
Uh, I'm no Natty Lopez. Uh, ex- well, excuse you. You're the one that doesn't brown your meats before you throw them into your slow cooker. Slow cooking. But pressure cooking, we do brown the meat. I, I always brown the meat. Always brown oh, the meat. also, I put a photo of us with the Christmas hat on my Instagram. Oh, nice. I'll, uh, I'll, I, don't know, I don't know how to do that, it, but I, I can. Try it later. Yeah, Paul knows how to do that stuff. So anyway, so back on the, uh, so the, the whole bird that I did for service, for, for serving, I did very, very traditionally. So back to my, I have my no oven policy, right? So I'm not going to use the oven this way. Everyone else can use the oven, and I don't have to worry about it. So to get around this, I have an outdoor fryer. Right, I think everyone should have an outdoor fryer. Wiley uh, Dufresne, my brother-in-law, he has the Cajun fryer. He actually really likes it a lot. And the nice thing about that fryer is that it has a lid that's meant to go over it. So you don't have to use some sort of aftermarket lid. And it's meant to get rain hitting it directly, whereas mine is not. So mine I have to cover and make sure that rain doesn't get on it because I just have a regular stainless commercial fryer that I have outside that I've converted to propane. Okay, so a couple of tips. One. If you live in cold weather, and this is, by the way, not just for Thanksgiving. This is any sort of outdoor cooking in cold weather. If you're going to do outdoor cooking in cold weather with a piece of equipment like a wok burner, with a piece of equipment like a deep fryer that is propane, that can't be fired off of wood, right? So, you know, normally outside when it's cold, if I'm going to grill, I grill with wood. And so, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But propane, uh, especially if you're using a small 20-pound tanks. If you actually almost ruined Thanksgiving with this once, if you use those and it's extremely cold, the cylinders can no longer supply high BTUs, right? Because at those at those low temperatures outside, there's not enough vapor pressure to push enough propane through your lines and through the orifice that's in you know in the in the burners to get uh, to get a good result. So years and years ago, like you know, 15, 16 years ago. Uh, you know, my mom had a, a fryer and it was below freezing outside when I was uh, cooking the turkey and it wouldn't light. And so I had to over drill the orifice. I had literally went into the garage and over drilled the orifice so that I could get enough propane out of the tank to cook the turkey. The turkey tasted good, but some of the oil flew up, which is, you know, your second tip. I didn't dry out the inside of the bird enough. And the problem with what they sell as turkey fryers in the, uh, in, the hor- in the big vertical pot, those six-gallon pots that they have, five, six-gallon pots, is that when you lower the turkey in, if it's not dry, you have water on the inside forming like a tunnel, like almost like a cannon, and it can fire oil straight up, and, which it did, and it, got, and it killed the grass in an area, and my stepfather you know, was displeased with, uh, with that. Um, so anyways, so what's the solution to this? The solution is you go on uh, Amazon or whatever. I mean, I hate Amazon. We could talk about them, but you know they are yeah. they are our only source of income. So I shouldn't <laughs> say on the air that I hate them, but I loathe them with an intense passion. The Searsals are back on Saturday. And Spinzals are on Amazon right now. Literally, like, every nickel that Booker and Dax makes really comes from Amazon.com, and yet still a burning white passion of hatred, as Booker would say, uh, you know, because of, you know, what they... Yeah, anyway, whatever. So uh, go on Amazon and get a pail warmer. Pail warmer. Make sure, as in, not as in, you know, I am pale, like a pail that will hold liquids. Uh, get, you know, a 110 volt pail warmer with a thermostat on it and you just wrap that around your propane tank 
and you're good to go. And you just don't turn it too high. You know, turn it basically on its lowest setting, and then it will just keep your propane tank at the right temperature. And this is how I know that no matter what the weather is like, if I want to deep fry, I can go outside and deep fry. So if you're going to get an outdoor deep fryer, you live in cold weather climates, the first trick is to get uh, one of those uh, pail warmers. Um, it's what we used when we were trying to also... If let's say you're going to run a, a puffing gun, let's say you're going to run a puffing. So my deep fryer is 90,000 BTUs, just to give you an idea. So I can suck, even though it's below freezing outside, I can suck 90,000 BTUs out of uh, uh, worth of propane out of my pro, 20 pound propane tank, no problem. That's let's, a lot of sucking. Yeah, right. Let's say let's what's it? Yeah, that's what you're talking about, right? So let's say you're let's say you have a puffing gun, right? Puffing gun is more on the order of 200,000 BTUs. Now, how you, you can't ever suck 200,000 BTUs out of, a, out of a regular propane tank, a 20-pound tank. It's not designed for it. You're supposed to pull it out of a 100-pound tank. So uh, what do you do? And what happens when you, when you take off too much propane out of a tank uh, at once, uh, it just cools off radically because you have evaporative cooling off, off the surface of the pro liquid propane as it evaporates, and it cools the whole tank down, and eventually you get down to a temperature where it doesn't deliver propane anymore. So any of you that have sat there and, I don't know, uh, turned on the Searzol and suddenly gotten tetanus and not been able to release the Searzols for five minutes, you'll notice that the tank gets really cold and the Searzol stops delivering propane. Uh, uh, you know, the tank stops delivering propane to the Searzol. So when we're firing the puffing gun, no matter what the weather is outside, even in the summer, we have to use pale heaters to keep it going. Um, Anyways, so that's one tip. Uh, second tip is if you get a horizontal fryer, they are very good for turkeys. So what I did there is I just uh, I did a smaller turkey, so uh, on the order of 15 pounds, uh, salted it, very old school, salted it, didn't bother boning it or anything like that, and just air dried it in the, you know, lifted off a rack. People make a mistake when they air dry. They worry about breast up, breast down. Just put it on two racks so that it's suspended well above the pan, right? Get the, get the wings way the hell away from the, the, and the legs way the hell away from the animal so that it's like, you know, it's basically like it's going to give you a, a, a hug. It's hugging you saying, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> hug me. You know, like that. Like that's what you want it to look like, right? Why and, didn't you post any pictures of this? Because I was busy cooking, Nastasia. That's Why the thing. Everyone's like, take I, photos? What? No one took photos? I'm, I was cooking by myself. Sad. That's life. You know, you cook beforehand, Sad. you prep. Sad. My brother actually was out there helping me, but by the time, it's, it gets dark at 4.30 here. You know what I mean? It's oh, like, wow, what time did you eat this year? I, I ate exactly when they asked. Like, when do you want to eat? They want to eat at 7, so I ate at 7. It's like, okay. Uh, but people don't believe you when you're doing this. I'm like, because they're like, the turkey is raw, and then when you're frying it the way I fry it, it's done 20 minutes later. So like, you know, 40 minutes before dinner, the turkey is still raw, like drying out, and people are like, He's not going to get this dinner done in time. And so they go start doing other stuff. And then meanwhile, I put the turkey on the table. I'm like, it's freaking ready, right? Because the technique is you fry the turkey, as I'm about to tell you to do next. And then you do the chicken fry after, right? So you're outside. You do your breading outside. And by the way, I hooked up my pressure washer. I, I finally put hot and cold running water on the outside of my house. I drilled a hole through my kitchen wall and installed... Uh, like uh, anti-frost, uh, siphon-proof, uh, like regular like garden hose faucets through underneath the, my kitchen sink, tapped into the lines there, and have hot and cold running water outside that you just attach with a hose to like this IKEA, this like you know really cheap IKEA kitchen outside. So I did all my breading outside, and then afterwards the next day, because I didn't want to clean it, right? But it's not in your house, so who cares? Mm -hmm. So I left it out there, and I took my pressure washer out there, I hooked it up to the hot water, not too hot, people. Ooh. 
not too hot or that happens. And, and then uh, I just pressure washed everything. It was so liberating to just pressure wash all of the sheet trays with all of the freaking fry goop all over them. Anyways, so uh, so yeah, the whole the whole thing is done in like you know thirty minutes. So while the turkey while the whole turkey rests, you have already low temped all of the meat for the um, for the ones that are turkey fried and they're small anyway, so they don't take a long time to heat through. So you just double basket back, bang 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 bang, and just pull it all in, and all of a sudden you go from zero to three turkeys. Like and as far as the other people think, it's magic. They're like boom, it's all there. You know what I mean? Anyways, so uh, the nice thing about horizontal frying is that you can put the legs in, right? So you can you can put the backside down in and tip it up so that you have the legs more in the fry oil than you have the breast. And you can just let it rock there. And it's easy to manipulate because you can shove spoons and tongs into what would have been the butt of the turkey, you know what I mean? And flip it around without doing too much damage. It's easy, and if you need to, you can almost pinion from two sides and flip it so you're not like tonging up the skin. And you can manipulate the turkey a couple of times to make sure that it is, uh, you know, that it's good. And because you manipulate it a couple of times, you can make sure the skin gets crispy uh, everywhere and you can make sure it browns everywhere. But you can also take, you know, I don't use thermometers when I'm cooking this kind of stuff. I just use a cake tester, right? Because that's the way I was trained to do it. So you get a cake tester and you just go, you shove the cake tester into the thickest part. You sit there, you sit there, you sit there, you sit there, you sit there. Okay, now you pull it out and you put it against your lip. If you do it too fast, there's no way to know. You have to let the cake tester equilibrate with the meat that's there. And then you pull it out and touch it right under your, under your you know, I'm point, what am I, what, what is this, Paul? That's your lower lip, Dave. Yeah, point. Yeah, you touch it there, and if it's warm, if it's warm enough, then you're like, oh. Eh, now you touch done. it, Paul. Yeah. Ah, you people, you're the worst. Anyway, hey, what if you don't a pr- have a cake tester? You only have a probe thermometer. Go buy a cake tester and throw your probe thermometer away. No, hey. probe thermometers are great. I love them, but really, why don't you have cake testers? Why don't we think about that while we take a quick break? <laughs> All right, take a break. Come right back with more with cooking issues. <laughs> Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard-to-get grains and other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily, or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities. But now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry Bob's Red Mill, and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting, fun things to play with. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Spelt. Spilt. Paul, do you like dreadlocks? The heck is Where did anything? that come from? <laughs> What's to like or not like? It's someone's hair. Who cares? Do you like it, Dave? What do you mean like? Like has no meaning to me. Do, would I have dreadlocks? No. I'm, I'm I, my hair is too straight. Them. I cannot grow I'm dreadlocks. Out by them. Why? Because they're dirty. What? That is wrong. What do you mean they're dirty? You can't wash your That's hair. That's incorrect. You can wash your hair with dreadlocks. Yes. Yes. With what? Shampoo. Mm-mm. What? Will someone please, like, write in on the chat board and school Nastasia on how dreadlocks work? Um, anyway, so uh, let's answer some questions that were written in. They are named dreadlocks because they invoke fear in the non-wearer. Well, really? back Originally. in the day. Yeah. Oh. So they're working. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, hey, Dave Nastasia, uh, Dave in the booth, and hopefully everyone's favorite punching bag, uh, Peter Kim. Well, the, the part of Peter Kim now is being played by Paul. <sighs> I just can't do it. Can't can't be punched. No. Unpunchable. I can't channel my That was a good today. Peter Kim impression, though. Uh, yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Big, big fan of the show. Uh, I got into you guys a few years back and downloaded the entire back catalog and listened to it during a 19-day volunteer mission helping rural, rural cacao farmers in Madagascar. Wow. So you like... I, I can't believe we've been listened to on the island of Madagascar. It's one of the places I really want to visit. Yeah. You too? You've been, have you been there, Paul? I haven't been. Sounds I want like to go for the vanilla and the lemurs. Both? Yeah. I want They're to go for the vanillas. <laughs> so wrong. So wrong. Uh, yeah, you I, would wash dreadlocks like you would a sponge. Just put it and in. And you know how I wash sponges? With soap. <laughs> oh, my God. Um... So, uh, I'm a cook for the uh, now Amazon-owned supermarket that everyone loves to hate. That would be Whole Foods. Um, we had a special request for a goose this weekend that is to be cooked, chilled, and given to a customer to be, customer to be reheated at home. While I've cooked plenty of poultry in my career, I've only roasted one goose and found it to be relatively tough and dry. I'm contemplating brining it and also using the Chinese prick skin and plunge in boiling water to render fat before roasting it. Uh, although I have a circulator at home, uh, I don't have one at work. I do have convection ovens, steamers, and alto sham, and deep fryers at my disposal. Nice. Uh, if there, I- so Whole Foods has deep fryers, huh? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, if uh, there's a can't miss method involving brining, uh, bringing my circulator from home, I'm willing to do so. But keep in mind, I don't have a chamber sealer, only food saver or zippies. Uh, I'm working day shift tomorrow, so I can't call in, but would love to get any advice you can share to help me provide my guests with a quality product, including suggestions on techniques for reheat with common appliances that the guests would have at their disposable. Dis- disposable. Disposal. Uh, thanks in advance, Jonathan. Here's what you do. You just shove it in the disposal. Um, so I also have only cooked uh, goose a couple of times, and it's been probably 20 years since I've cooked a goose, and I was not super jacked about it. Uh, at the time, it seemed like a uh, it seemed like kind of a fattier, less meaty, more pain in the butt duck to me. Like it was kind of like duck minus. Uh, but that was a long time ago. I think goose deserves more. I've had delicious confit goose, uh, not that I've cooked, but that other people have cooked for me. Uh, but I've not had a roasted like Christmas style goose in in. Well, I say I haven't cooked one in 20 years, but I don't think I've had one in probably 15 years. Nils, so Nils Norin, it, being Swedish, like, you know, cooking goose for him is like, you know, waking up in the morning. Uh, but, you know, Paul, are you a goose cooker? No, I've never cooked a goose. I've had extremely good roast goose at the home of a Chinese-American family, and I've had really good smoked goose breast. Yeah. So the problem with goose, and I think the reason that goose is difficult is that it's it's difficult in, well, the other reason I don't cook it uh, is it's a lot more expensive than duck. And so if I'm going to have a better, if, if the duck is going to do me more proud than the goose, then why would I pay more for something I like less? It's been my mentality. But I think my mentality is wrong and I need to revisit it because obviously if goose was the festive bird for, you know, uh, hundreds of years, in places like you know England, then it's gotta it's gotta have merit, right? The roast goose I had was more flavorful than an average roast duck. Yeah, the meat had more interesting 
flavor. Yeah? Okay. But, Nastasia, you have any goose? Any? I've had one a couple of years ago. And what do you think of it? I don't remember it that well. Does that mean you didn't like it? Probably. Okay. So, uh, anyway, so it has the same sort of problems as duck, but more so. Uh, and so I did some I did some research, and the problem is the kind of whole roasting of it. Uh, you're not going to get... You're not going to get the legs and the breast to be in a position uh, the way that you would want it if you're the kind of person who likes a medium rare breast and a soft leg. It just won't happen. Like the, either you'll have the breast meat the way you want it or you'll have the leg meat the way you want it, but you're not going to get both uh, at the same time using uh, normal techniques. So I looked up like some ways that people get around the, the toughness. One, uh, hunters, and this will also solve some of your skin rendering problems. So you mentioned the Chinese technique of uh, pricking it, but there are hunters out there who do full jackhard. So they're jackharding the meat uh, prior. Now that sh unfortunately will shred the skin, which I don't think is what, what you want. But it's interesting that people are using, some people like joke that they'll run over the goose with, uh, with, their, with their four by fours, hunters. You know what I mean? Will run over the goose with their four by fours as a tenderizing. So you might, um, you might help make the leg meat less problematic by the good old fashioned technique of beating the ever loving snot out of it. Uh, brining also helps. Hank Shaw, who has, you know, a bunch of stuff on cooking, uh, hunted, uh, meats, his favorite technique, which is not necessarily going to be, uh, what you want. And he, and it's his favorite bird, right? Is he, uh, will brine that, brine the heck out of it for a long time, right? To kind of, uh, protect it by the way. Uh, okay. And then he will roast it and then, uh, okay. So if you're, you're familiar with pressed duck, right, Paul? Right. So in, in, in a pressed duck situation, you, you par, I don't even know why I brought it up because it's a different technique, but you, you partially roast the bird, pull it off, slice off the breasts, and then you, re, you can roast the rest of it to what you want. So that's what he does. He roasts, he roasts the birds uh, at a regular thing, you know, renders out the, the fat on the skin area, which you could probably accelerate by pricking it and doing the hot water, like pecking duck style stuff, right? You could do all of that, inflate it, all that stuff will work. Uh, but then he slices the breast off when the breast is done and then throws the uh, – keeps it warm and then throws the rest of the meat back in on the carcass until the legs are the way you want, then pulls it out, then puts the stuff back. So if your customer is willing to not have a 100% presentation mode, you can cook it, slice that stuff off, then relayer it back on. But even if you meet – meat glue it back on which the meat glue will hold by the way like if you are chilling it and then like once it gets down to you know uh it's just getting cool enough you layer the breast back on top it'll it will re-glue but you're never going to get it looking like a, a goose that hasn't been uh cut into you know this is not going to happen you know what i mean but it'll have that glued goose look yes but if you do do that if you have that glued uh, goose look as paul says um, then that stuff's pretty easy to re-therm. Just make sure that the cavity is completely empty and throw it in uh, hot, a very hot oven, and just let it, you know, warm through like this, and you won't get much overcooking on it because you've already cooked it all up. So just let it, you know, come up to room temp, uh, you know, for a little while, throw it in a super hot oven, and boom, you should be able to re-therm it no problem. And it'll re-crisp the skin, but it's never going to look like... Uh, you know, like it would otherwise. Now yeah, we got to bring this bird in for a landing, Dave. No, all right. Well, I was gonna say, like, if you wanted to get super complicated, you could you could inside out rip out the legs and and meet and then comfy them without their skin 
and then chill them, stuff them back into the raw skin, then roast the whole bird off, focusing on just the breast and getting the skin crisped up, like almost treated as a raw bird with the legs back in. And then you'd have comfy goose leg and bread. But that's a huge pain in the butt to go through for uh, a customer who you can't even trust is going to be, you know, a friend of quality and not ruin it on the on the uh, pickup. You know what I mean, Nastasia? Yes. Mm, yes. And that, doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't even require a circulator, right? Because you're, you're doing basically traditional techniques. One last thing, because uh, Dave's going to kick me off the uh, off the air here. Um, Remember that I, I don't know this for a fact, but my guess is is that long time low temperature cooking on a, a goose breast is going to do a very similar thing that it does uh, that uh, that it does to a duck breast, which is it makes the texture mushy slash grainy and can create liver flavors in it, uh, which is dependent. So some duck breasts will get livery and some duck breasts won't uh, on on long cooking. But this is why typically when I'm doing low temperature on duck breasts. I like to keep the cook time down to about an hour or less. Uh, and so uh, at roughly 57 is what I typically do a duck breast at. Chill it and then do the, the panning of the skin to crisp it up. So my guess is that goose meat will probably have similar, if not worse, problems with going A, livery, and B, getting real texture loss on very long temperature uh, cooks. So just bear that in mind if you're going to do long-term low temperature. Either next week or the week after, Johnny Hunter from Underground Meats is going to come in. So please Send uh, your cured meat questions our way, and we'll try to tweet out beforehand whether it's going to be next week or the week after. But definitely before uh, the new year, Johnny Hunter from uh, Wisconsin, from Madtown, is going to come on, and we'll we'll do a, a, a cured meats question. We got uh, Paul here who's pushing his new kitten. If you if you want to eat his new kitten, uh, you know, go to his uh, website, which is I don't have a website. Well, what is it? Where, where are they going to go? Puma Instagram. salad Puma. Twitter.com slash Salad Puma. Salad Puma. All right, I don't salad really Puma. keep updated, but I will post a kitten photo. Now, there you go. All right, cooking issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter, Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.